Hey everybody, I'm Dustin. And I'm Jim. We're creative writers from Olympia, Washington. And this is Fairly Inkwell. Um, so today's pitch is uh, an idea that came to me last night, <laughs> and I was furiously taking notes on my phone, but the idea that the potential title would be The Watchmaker's Daughter. And now the idea that I had in in going with this was uh, like what's what spawned this idea was the idea of a mechanism like a really complex mechanism like a watch, but on the scale of Big Ben that runs for centuries after the original creator has um, finished his work. And so what is it actually counting down to? And so this was like kind of an interesting idea. And, you know, the, the watchmaker idea like implies a certain era, right? Like kind of the, is that the turn of the century? Like the, are you thinking like a steampunk kind of thing? Yeah. But like a Victorian era, 1900s, early 1900s, like back when watches were a thing to be valued, like pocket watches and like, because they were so important to, to track time and, and to be able to coordinate. And so, um, the idea that somebody would create this mechanism that would, you know, that runs for far longer than needs to be. And maybe like at the end of it, it, a box opens and like, it's a time capsule and they had some technology that we didn't know about. Like, and you know, there's like the air, the air of mystery. And then the, with the, with the concept of the daughter, it's like, you're handing this project down through a family over millennia or centuries or, you know, however long you, you write this for. And like, so there's all, there's always like a caretaker, if you will, like right. a caretaker that was in the family. Right. And nobody knows what it's, what its aim was because the inventor of it was so crazy or something like that. Like, <laughs> okay. So the other, the other things that came to mind too, is you could use this as a discussion on gender because if it's the watchmaker's daughter, well, in that era, in the Victorian era and all of that, the women were repressed. And so if she followed in her father's footsteps and was a caretaker of this mechanism that was overly complicated, that, you know, took very specific knowledge, like knowledge to understand how it works, they wouldn't necessarily credit it to his daughter. And so would she create a persona like a public facing image that's, you know, a, a pseudonym that's not her. Like, like, cause a lot of other writers from that era that were women wrote under male pseudonyms in order to be taken more seriously. I think it's, yeah, that's entirely likely. Like, uh, you could, you could, you could approach this as, as her, you know, maybe it's like a reveal that she's a woman, you know, at the end, maybe it's a mystery that she's a, that, that it's, that it's a woman at first and everybody just assumes it's a guy. But then when it's revealed that it's a woman, what is that? How does that change the story? You know, like, right. that's, that's an interesting take on it. Yeah. So and then some of the other notes that I had about it is like, how would location affect this? If she's in the Americas when this is happening or is in, she, is she in England? Like that would, you know, the title would imply that she's in England because of the precision of that era, but, or maybe she's Chinese and this is a, you know, like, so how does the location affect the character? <laughs> it's interesting. Just for the readers or for the audience, let me tell you that when he said Chinese, my eyebrows really went up. I started really thinking about hard about that. Um, 
Because when you first started pitching this, immediately my head went to Victorian England, like in London, you know, maybe like a steampunk kind of kind of setting, but uh, not necessarily steampunk. It could just be historic, you know, like at the, industri- at the be- beginning of the Industrial Revolution, England was like leading the world, you know, they were leading the way. And then the United States was kind of copying a lot of stuff that England was doing, but Placing it in England, you get a lot of that history. You get a lot of that uh, kind of uh, academic scholarship that already exists. You have Charles Babbage and his his adding machine. That's a real life thing that uh, was the was the original steam powered computer, if you will. Right. Uh, this is kind of like it seems like you could pull from a lot of that. But if you move the location to the United States, then suddenly that changes the dynamic, right? right. Because the, the United States during this period, you're thinking more of like Wild West, you know, like it's it's the end of the outlaw era. It's, it's you know, it's it's the beginning of, of kind of the Industrial Revolution and civilization in the United States where where we have real honest-to-goodness cities that are, are like coming into their own. We're only like, like, what, 15 years away or so from World War I. But then moving the whole thing to China radically shifts the idea right oh man so like then you've got like four thousand years of history like what what built up to this concept of creating like a a a machine you could actually you could actually in a way you could bring all of this together by by placing it in china maybe you've got somebody from england who moved to shanghai and started to start working on this and he's using like Something that he found in China, right? To, like to, ancient manuscripts. Exactly. Or... Like, oh yeah, I like that. Like, there were ancient engineering, one-off engineering that was independently discovered and never rediscovered, or something, right. you know. And and uh, I, I think the possibilities there are fantastic. So, yeah. Another interesting thing that popped into my mind while I was thinking about this is also the socioeconomic situation because you just assume right off the bat with what we're discussing that they're well-off, middle-class, like they have the resources to create these watches and these mechanisms, but what if they don't? What if they were poor? What if this was like the old man was working in the mines at, in the day because he couldn't afford to do anything else, and then by night he was doing these intricate mechanisms with a file and brass and like you know forging his own components. So <laughs> that was another thing that could very like that could affect the story greatly because I think coming from our backgrounds, like it, we assume a certain, a certain socioeconomic standing at that, and we need to broaden our horizons and think like think outside of the box. That's true. When you, again, going back to when you first started pitching this, my mind immediately went to that whole like, like upper class England uh, kind of rich people who are scholars uh, and engineers building something. They weren't middle class people, you know. But to be honest, there's there's actually a historic tie in with this, and that's the discovery of longitude and how longitude uh, uh, requires hyper accurate measurement of time. And uh, so there, the guy who created a, a clock that was was the first clock in the world that could be used on a ship that could accurately measure time and 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 use longitude was just a middle-class guy. He wasn't like anything that was like super rich or, or whatever, you know? So uh, it was just a regular guy. And, uh, and he spent years working on this project. Right. So there is actual historic stuff that can go into this that that is really cool. I like that idea. I like the idea of it not being somebody wealthy. Maybe 
maybe the villain of the story is somebody who's wealthy and wants to take it. See, that's what I hadn't considered with this is just an antagonist. I had not even contemplated that with this, this idea. But one last question before we move on to that is, um, cause you bring up like, uh, you know, you bring up the historic references to all of this, but what about the genre? What if this was a fantasy story? <laughs> because what does that open up as far as like, so the, the, at that point, maybe the watchmaker's work is magical in nature. And when it's done doing its grand thing, it unlocks some key to the universe or like, and maybe that's why like p- perhaps the, pr- the antagonist of the story is afraid of what's going to happen when the watch finally winds down or perhaps if, like you said, if it's steampunk, like how does that change the, the elements of the story? Or, I mean, we could even say it's science fiction and this is a watch that is futuristic in nature. And so it's not made of brass gears and all that. It's made of, silicon and, and other components that you know again what what is the goal of the of the watchmaker <laughs> oh yeah that's interesting because i mean if it starting with the magical precept right like like what if magic exists in the world but is uncommon and so uncommon that most people don't think it exists but it is it's true and it's real and it's out there and so and so you have a small group of dedicated people in the world that are are developing magical skill sets. They're not necessarily all on the same side, or maybe alliances might come and f- go back and forth. You could you could really develop this watch thing as like a magical artifact right. that affects that that group of people in some way. You know, like. Um, uh, maybe, maybe like the the guy who developed it is not part of this community, but independently stumbled upon some kind of magical solution to a problem, a scientific problem that he couldn't figure out, right. and he found a shortcut for it. And then it's it you know we could identify that as magic, and then this other group of people could say, oh wait, no, you can't do this. You don't belong to our club. You're not. You haven't earned this through blood, sweat, and tears. Right. Uh, there's that, or maybe maybe this guy uh, is a member and is you know like like this is an artifact that he found or something. I mean, maybe he created it, or maybe maybe it was uh, uh you know in in with some other artifacts from a guy who that he that he just discovered. You know, like um uh, that was part of the group, and that 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 now something's got to be done about it. What right. does this mean? You know, like like who 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 is supposed to watch this over the next? this could tie to the watchmaker's daughter is that like he finds it. Nobody knows what it's doing, but they know that it's significant and, and they know that it was a secret. And then the daughter eventually like it's handed down to her to be the caretaker, you know, right. and, and to study it and to try to figure out what it's doing. But the time keeps ticking down. The suspense keeps building because mm-hmm. it's coming to an end and 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 nobody so, really knows what's going to happen yet. That reminds me of a book that I never actually finished reading, but it was called The Three-Body Problem. And in it, um, it was a really weird book. But there was like this guy started to see a countdown in photographs that he would take. And he had no idea what was happening. And then this secret organization contacted him and he got involved in this 
weird simulation that was running. Like it was such a weird book. It's a, it's a really well known book at this point. I think it was a Chinese author and I do not remember the names. Um, but I I couldn't finish it. It was actually like, I found it to be quite boring, Hmm. (laughs) but Hmm. it was, yeah, it wasn't interesting enough for me to want to finish reading it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like, that's, that's an interesting point. Well, and then too, it occurs to me while we're talking, like, the relationship between the watchmaker and his daughter, like what if it wasn't a good relationship because the watchmaker is always working on his, you know, tinkering and and ignoring his daughter. Like, you know, how does that affect how she's been brought up? Cause maybe she's been brought up to hate him. And yet she's the steward of this, of this information. And she feels obligated because it's familial in nature, but at the same time she hates it. Like, or, you know, like there's so many different little nuances that could infect, in fact, that could affect the, uh, <laughs> the overarching <laughs> narrative. And then too, like you said, like, you know, what would be the greatest antagonist in this story? Would it be another group of people that are trying to get their hands on the technology or they're trying to prevent whatever the clock is ticking towards to, from happening, or they're trying to cause it to like to bring it into effect before the clock is done ticking. Like, Oh yeah, like maybe maybe within this this kind of like sub society of of magic users and and like modern day sorcerers or something, there's like a a cult that develops around this thing, and and they they think they know what the answer is, right. and that you know, and then and so they're going to help to to bring that countdown to zero faster because it's, they think it's going to cause maybe a a, a grand awakening of of, of some magic sort of or, global or some, change that, yes yeah. yeah and so maybe that's it and maybe there's the other side maybe the watchmaker's daughter feels like no the countdown needs to go on time or or be prevented because right. we're afraid of it you know and maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle you know yeah. uh, maybe maybe these two sides that start off as enemies actually find some common ground during the story right and the actual antagonist antagonist is the mechanism itself oh the see like, that could be yes so instead of having a human antagonist you have a an environmental antagonist mm-hmm. um yeah so that's like really kind of a fascinating like this you know all of this how it could potentially fit together so i wonder if should we try and wind it down now yeah say, let's do yes okay do. so you know if you're a listener out there and any of these ideas really speak to you, feel free to write them down and follow this thread. Follow the, like any of these ideas and create this story. And then if you do happen to write it, you can find us online at fairlywell.somethingorother. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually we'll have an e- email address. We're not there yet, but we're getting there pretty quick. <laughs> but uh, And then at some point, if you're comfortable with it, we could talk to you about it and, you know, and see what your process was in, in developing these stories. Yeah. And if you're local to the Olympia area or even somewhere in the Portland to Seattle corridor, then we can meet up and talk about it in person, maybe get it on audio and, and be a part of the podcast. Sure. So... I'm uh, again. I'm Dustin. I have a book on Amazon under the pseudonym of G Wizard, and it's got two Z's. <laughs> and and I'm Jim, and I do a lot of writing and very little publishing. So, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it's something I'm working on. So this part, this this podcast is something for me to kind of generate some creative ideas for myself. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and thanks for listening. This has been fairly well, and well, fairly ink well. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next time.